Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. guys happy wednesday happy wednesday another wednesday in the books guys yeah and you know guys by the time you hear this maybe hopefully we'll have a new president and hopefully everything will go well is that not the weirdest thing that it's like hopefully like there's <laughs> for some reason there's still some kind of doubt in our mind <laughs> that it may not I mean, happen i'm really gonna hunker down tomorrow like i'm planning on taking my rescue medication i know um my rescue anxiety medication and like hunkering down i know i only have one thing scheduled tomorrow and that's a community meditation and that's it because I just I don't think I can handle anything more I know I actually have to like be out of the house for a while with Sebastian and then go pick up grocery like I'm I planned for this I planned I have all the I'm just gonna hunker down I'm gonna craft I'm just gonna try to do something that brings me joy I know maybe I should like reschedule my grocery pickup (laughs) we've got a great show for you today we've got Paula Sachs who is a specialist in attachments. She's a therapist who deals with anxiety in adults and children and attachment. And she is the author of two books about attachment. And we have a wonderful interview with her that's like really set me straight. I had a whole other idea about what that interview was going to be about. Yes, very insightful. And then we're going to do a deep dive. And I cannot believe we're doing this. I have like a love-hate relationship with the fact that we've chosen (laughs) to do this next segment. Do you want to introduce it, Ashley, since it means so much to you? What's the deal? With Blippi. Oh boy, get ready for it. I know. But as always, we have hashtag swag bag. And up next, the tits and the shits. Wow, that actually ended up being perfect. I know, weird, huh? Huh, cool. So what are your tits and shits, my friend? Well, my tits is also my shits. So it's a nice combo platter. Oh, I love that. That is that I have been working out five weeks straight with a Peloton. And I'm on like an 11-day streak of doing something Peloton-related. Mostly the bike, but sometimes if I need to take a break, I do something like Pilates or whatever. And I feel energetically really good. It's social because my, listen, guys, here, you want to hear what a really good best friend is. My best friend, Jill, she's my oldest best friend. We've been through a lot together. She wanted to support me on my journey uh, to try to get fit. And so she bought a used Peloton just so that she could ride with me as my buddy. Isn't that so nice? So we ride almost every day together and you can like FaceTime while you do it. So we see each other and it's like held accountable and like, you know, it's fun. And I feel energetically way better. Like I've been in a pretty good mood. I've been pretty chill. I have so much more energy. However, I've gained back all the weight. Yeah, but you know that's muscle. I don't care. I don't want it. I know. This is why. So my pants don't fit. If it was muscle, but my pants fit, my belly's actually bigger than it was before. And I actually, when COVID's all over, I need to go to a doctor about it. I think something's up with my hormones because we talked about perimenopausal. Yeah. Because I'm like sweating and I'm having, so I think there's definitely a hormonal issue. And I also like need to go to a pelvic floor therapist and maybe think about getting the diastasis surgery, which when I first met you, I was going to get. But in the meantime, I'm really trying to feel fit and I'm trying to focus on the fact that I feel so good after doing the Peloton. But like yesterday, my shits is, yesterday after like nine really hard days of working out, I stepped on that scale and I was the heaviest I've been. And I got so downtrodden. 
I just couldn't get on the bike yesterday. I just couldn't do it. I like did, I meditated instead. I like did a Peloton meditation, but I was like so discouraged. And then today I had to like a, have a talk with myself and say, the main reason you need to do this is to stay alive for your kid, for mental health, for cardiovascular health, to boost your immune system. Yes, you want to get skinny, but like this is positive. You can't stop just because you're it's not showing on the scale. Yeah. Listen, I am not one to hand out nutrition advice, weight loss advice in any way, but this is what I have to say about that. Every diet that I've ever done has always said to keep exercise to a minimum as a woman. That really, you just need to do about three to four days of exercise with moderate cardio for about a half an hour. I mean, that's all I'm doing. I'm only doing 30 minutes. However... But you're doing it like every day. Yeah, but my mental health needs it. Well, but maybe you do yoga those other days or like some, maybe you only do the Peloton three days and then you do something else the other days is what I'm trying to say. Like maybe you just go for a long walk on another day instead of. I'm just saying it used to work for me. Like I used to be like quite the athlete. Yeah. God, here's me bragging again. Welcome to Momtourage where Kelly brags (laughs) and has amazing (laughs) self-esteem for the most part. I used to work out six to seven days a week hard and I always kept my weight and it was like really good for my mental health. So, I mean, I know no one diet works for everybody. And also you got to get down there before it stays a certain way. You know what I also, mean? Also, like, today, like, I counted my calories with breakfast, and I used up all my calories at breakfast. Yeah. I've been doing the Noom thing because, you know, I've talked yeah, about I'm it openly. Yeah, I'm doing it too, yeah. I don't want to upset anybody who's listening. I, you know, I understand that we need to accept ourselves and all that other stuff, but here's the thing. I have a closet full of beautiful clothing that I cannot wear right now, and that really upsets me, and I just want to be able to wear my clothes again, and I know that I'm not at my healthiest weight, so I'm just just trying to get back there and I'm I'm being really kind to myself where I haven't been in the past and I'm just like doing everything on Noom and even though I am the daughter of a dietitian who's always given me very sound advice really I mean the commercials say we change the way you think about things and it really has like certain little things excuse me whose hashtag swag bag was Noom it was yours yes that's right bitch ass just kidding oh my god I just need to feel good about myself because after that always scale. anyway so that's my tits wishes I'm just trying not to get discouraged I gave myself one day to just be like YOLO. Yeah. But like, you know, I made a delicious breakfast this morning. God, you have to listen to this. Luna, help me. We made eggs with cabot cheddar, black garlic, and an English muffin. It sounds delicious. So good. But it was like all my calories for the day. So... Anyway. Yeah, I know, I get so it. So anyway, it's just, that's, I hate to make it about weight, but you know what? The, the struggle is real with parents. It's just, know, it's real. The deeper issue is really how it makes you feel about yourself. And, you know, for some people, they're fine with certain things. Other people are fine in other ways. Other people have issues with this or that or the other. It's really just a personal preference. And um, I mean, that's my take on it. Anyway. anyway, that's my tits and my shits. How about you, Ash? So last week I told you guys that I got Sebastian a chore chart. The way they this chore chart is supposed to be uh, set up is that, like, at the end of the week, you get a treat. But he's three. I think short-term goals are probably going to be better. So I'm doing, like, four out of eight goals every day gets you the treat that you want at the end of the night, whether that's ice cream or a cookie or whatever, whatever it is. And I have to tell you, like, some days it works and other days not working and I just honestly I just want to bang my head up is this a combined tits and shits for you too as well like it kind of works it kind of doesn't work yeah I just want to like I'm so over it I am just so 
over this power dynamic, this struggle with him. I just want him to listen to me. And I like sit down, like I do all the things. We name feelings. I tell him to take deep breaths. Like I scream a little more than I want to, but again, I'm going to be lenient on myself because we're in quarantine and we're literally stuck together all the time. And I also know that, you know, like our kids are going through a really hard time with all of this and they can't really put their finger on it. So I'm trying to have some kind of like patience, but it is just so hard. I'm just always... I'm tired of fighting all the time. And I really, all I can say is, I hope this shit is real. That they say like, boys, all the hard parts, you get out earlier and girls are later. I don't, sorry about the girls. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I hope that it's easier going forward. Because like, I can see, you know, Matt and I, we're very much about being best friends. And we we really are. And we kind of feel like Sebastian's our third. And that's that he's three. So I'm really excited for him to get to the point where it's like, we can actually, I know I'm still his parent. My goal is not to be his best friend but we can actually just like really enjoy each other's company and not scream at each other and fight all the time I just want to get to that point because it's just too much and also I still need to look into preschools I'm like behind and I just I haven't done it I keep forgetting so great job mom (laughs) that's it that's all I got all right Oh, are we going to rage? Momtourage. We put the rage in motherhood. You know, you get it? Mom to rage. Get anyway, it, get it. We really want to start a fun segment where you guys can write to us and tell us your ragey motherhood, relationship, whatever moment is. So send us an email at momtouragepod at gmail.com or slide into our DMs at momtouragepodcast on Instagram and tell us what you're raging about because we can all relate to you and uh, I'm sure people would love to hear it. Okay, so today's mom rage is what? Today's mom rage is from my sister, Gina Perry, which is her face has gotten so chubby from being pregnant and she looks so much like her son that her one-year-old son bought an app on her phone. Her face has the face recognition lock. Uh-huh. It thought his face was her face because they look alike <laughs> and she's so pudgy now from being fat. It matches his pudgy little one-year-old face. And he got in there and bought like a $15 app on the app store. <gasps> and it's not supposed to open if it's not her face. Oh my God, that's so funny. I she's thought like, you were saying I, she looks like Tucker now, but no, you're saying Chase, right? Yeah, Chase, because they do look alike, like a lot alike, but also Chase's one and my sister is like a 30-year-old woman, <laughs> and that's a one-year-old baby. But her face got so fat that the thing thinks it's her one-year-old That's kid. so funny. Oh my God. Well, And now she has to like call and be like, it wasn't me. And they, they, she called and they were like, but the phone has the lock. She's like, I don't know how to describe it. It unlocked to my kid's face. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. (laughs) Wow. Thanks for raging, Gina. She can also feel like how youthful she looks. She looks so youthful. She looks one. Yeah. (laughs) Either that or that baby's seen some hard times. (laughs) (laughs) That baby's been through some shit. I mean, its first year was COVID, so. I was going to say, quarantine has taken a lot from us. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken a lot of the pigment in my hair. Anyway. Anyway. So stay tuned, because up next, we've got Paula Sachs. Paula Sachs is a licensed, clinically trained social worker whose areas of expertise include adult attachment disorders, hypnotherapy and psychotherapy for grief, depression, adjustment disorders, and phobic disorders such as flight and height, as well as all anxiety disorders, just to name a few. I'm like, uh, check, 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 check for all those things. Pretty much. She recently released two new books entitled Love Rays and the Importance of Love Rays. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. 
And joining us. What do you want us to call you? Dr. Paula, Paula. Dr. Sachs. What do you want us to call you? Just call me Paula. I'm an attachment specialist and a person. So just go by Paula. Got it. So I'm going to start it off because, so I one time saw this movie. <laughs> this is like <laughs> the worst way to start an interview. One time I saw this movie and it was about hippie parents from Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is where I lived before this. So I feel it very strongly. And it was this Columbia University teacher who was practicing attachment parents. And her and her husband had a gigantic, huge circle bed where all four of their children all co-slept. She refused to use a stroller because she said, why would you want to push your children away from you? And that's sort of like, I got this very false idea. Like, I'm such a dummy because I know that things in movies aren't real, but I just was like, yes, that is what attachment parenting is. I guess I'm not doing that. So can you correct my (laughs) extremely false ways and explain what attachment theory is and attachment parenting and, and just... School me, please, Paula. Please. All right. I would be happy to because they're, they're actually two different things. So attachment parenting is more about being with your child 100% of the time. And attachment theory is really a scientific approach where we come in and we talk about the needs of a child. So for instance, when a child comes into the world, they are 100% relying on a person for their very existence, everything to meet their needs. And so attachment is a out of two people. So you have a parent with this newborn child that comes in and all the baby's needs are going to be met in this dyad, in this attachment. And it really is kind of like um, a relationship in the service of a baby's emotional needs. And what this does for attachment purposes, it gives that baby a sense of this very deep confidence that their needs are going to be met with a responsive caregiver. And so it really kind of like sets the stage on regulating like safety and security in a person. It also regulates emotion for soothing and distress. And it helps a person have this like internal sense of self of well-being. And that's what attachment is. So attachment parenting is a little bit different because their theory is more like when a baby comes into the world, you stay with the baby 100% of the time and you are there to meet that baby's needs 100% of the time. And the baby will tell you when they're ready to stop breastfeeding or to sleep in their own bed, whether it be five years, six years, eight years, it doesn't matter. So it's a very different approach. Thank you. I really thought they were the same thing. So I really appreciate that clarification. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so on that, how do attachment issues differ in adults and children then? When a baby, once again, we'll go back to the mother-child relationship. So in the relationship, there are five primary conditions that are needed to create secure attachments. And in these five primary conditions, it is a child needs to experience. Now, this is once again, a child's feeling. So keep in mind, this little baby comes into the world and the person who's going to take care of them, they have to rely on this caregiver. A child needs to experience safety. And that comes across because the caregiver, the mother, whomever, is doing a protective behavior. So for instance, if there's a loud noise in the room and the child is startled and it becomes very frightened, you know, that caregiver recognizes that, picks up the baby, takes it away from harm, you know, for the perceived child's not feeling safe, and takes it out of the room to soothe the child, make the child feel feel safe, and to kind of calm that child down. 
a child has a need and the parent, you know, is there to meet that child's needs. And attachment is created in this dyad. And what we have found is that there are four attachment styles. One happens to be secure attachment, which is what we're talking about right now. And secure attachment basically means that the child has certain needs and the caregiver has come in and has really helped that child with those needs in a way that really fosters security and safety and feel good states in that child. So that's called secure attachment. And that would be secure attachment for a child as well as an adult because your attachment style will go with you from adolescence into adulthood. If there's a misread or a miscommunication, then you're going to get some deficits where there were needs met, but they weren't met in a way that really soothed the child or helped the child. So the child starts having different kind of lacking trust that the other person is going to help them. And one of the insecure attachment styles we have is called a resistant child, or when they grow up, they become an anxious, preoccupied adult. And this is kind of where the child has a need. It is not actually met, but what happens is the child starts kind of internalize this deficit and it becomes kind of a, a deficit out of, let's say, neglect, a perceived neglect, where the child starts to, instead of internalizing that their needs are going to be met and trust that they're going to be met, the trust is kind of broken at this point and they don't actually believe that that parent is going to meet their needs and they start taking on these kind of maladaptive behaviors. And another insecure attachment style is the avoidant child, which as they grow up, they become a dismissive adult. And once again, it's where they have needs, they're not being met, but the child perceives rejection. And then it grows, the child grows up and it internalizes this behavior and it causes kind of dismissive styles that you'll see later on as an adult. And then the fourth one is a combination of the two insecure types, which is the anxious, preoccupied and the dismissive style. You're sort of speaking my language here. I, my dad is was a therapist for years. So this is stuff we talked about all the time. And ironically, my dad is the one that caused my attachment <laughs> issue. <laughs> uh, you know, that's how it works. Um, I felt like I, I am from a divorced family. That's not the actually the part that's the problem, but I'm from a divorced family. And one side of the divorce side, I sort of had to take care of. And so as a kid, I could never trust that my needs were going to be taken care of because I was taking care of their needs. And so I have some definite attachment issues based on needs not being met or perceived anxiety based on my perceived needs not being met for 100%, 100% there. You know, even the fact that you have the wherewithal to know that is like a wonderful thing because attachment is created in a dyad. And the dyad, the very first dyad that sets the stage is kind of the parent-child relationship. So what you're saying is is, is 100% accurate. It's not that your parents did anything bad or they caused this or they went out of their way to do this. Not at all. It's that in that relationship, there were needs that were not being met. And so what happened was that instead of, you know, fostering trust and fostering, you know, so self-esteem and emotional regulation, there was kind of things that weren't being taken care of. Yeah. I actually had, Ashley can attest to this, I had a bolstered over sense of self-esteem and then an under sense of that anyone else was going to take care of anything except for me. That's just speaking for me. But um, actually, Ashley and I just talked about it on the show. It was either last week or the week before that. One of my main things is I don't want my child to feel like she has to take care of me. Like I'm really kind of nervous about having those needs met for her so that she doesn't feel the same anxiety that I felt 
in feeling like I needed, I was responsible for adults uh, at a young age. I agree with you because attachment style, like we're talking about, attachment is created in childhood. And if, let's say you have a perceived belief or this kind of belief that you have to take care of other people's needs, that is what we would consider anxious, preoccupied attachment style. And that is that you have to take care of other people's needs and they become more important in a detriment to your sense of self. Right. It becomes like an addiction a little bit, like you have to take care of others. Yep. Well, it does, but it also does because as a child, you had to go to great lengths to try and get the attention that you were needed that never came. So it plays out as an adult. Paula, you know, I was supposed to have therapy today and I've rescheduled it for tomorrow. And I really feel like I'm getting my money's worth today because <laughs> I'm also getting therapy from you. Something that's coming up as we talk about this and as I get to understand more fully what I didn't understand before, Ashley and I were raised by some very strong women in our family. And we are extremely, extremely close to our mothers, even as adults. Some might say codependent. Ashley and I have discussed whether uh, the fine line between being very attached and being codependent. Could you maybe shed a little light on that? Like, I, I sometimes worry that my attachment to my mother is too much. Yeah. And also, interestingly, just to piggyback on that before you even kind of conquer that question, you know, my mother has gone through so much therapy because she's like this because of obviously her relationship with her mother. And it's to the point where it's almost I'm the codependent one who's not willing to let go of certain things. So if you want to address that too. <laughs> sure, I'll be happy to address that because what you both are actually talking about, it is kind of more of your anxious, preoccupied attachment style, okay, where the other person becomes extremely, extremely important. Do you guys say no very often? In general? Yeah, I'd say so. No, I don't say no hardly at all, unless it's to my baby daddy husband. You know what? <laughs> I want to change my answer because I'm thinking about it and it's like, I, you know, right now it's like I'm mostly with my kid all the time and no is coming out of my mouth all the time. But yeah, no, I do not say no very often, especially not to my mother. Well, because the possibility is no means that what gets disrupted, it's not necessarily what you want, but that takes a backseat to how the other person's going to feel. So you're trying to regulate how that other person is going to feel. And also for you not to be able to meet their needs is a very difficult position for you. Yep. It's very, very uncomfortable is the word that I use more than anything. It is like, I know because of therapy, because of years of doing this, because of having an open dialogue with my mother about what our relationship really is, I know the work that needs to be done. I don't really want to do it because it makes me uncomfortable. And that being said, I'm slowly doing the work. I have been slowly doing the work. But for me, it's like, do I sit here and have a panic attack because I'm freaking out about saying no to something? Or do I just say yes and just move on with my life? Well, and I, I'm going to say, you know, the problem that we have with um, an anxious, preoccupied attachment style, and I'm not I'm not diagnosing you guys, so please understand. Yeah. Ashley, I'm diagnosing Ashley and Ashley's diagnosing okay, right. me. We both have it, just so you know. I'm going to let you two diagnose each other and I will just talk great, about a great. style. How's that? Great. Okay. Perfect. So one thing that we do know about anxious, preoccupied attachment style is that they worry a lot about what the other person's going to think and what the other person's going to do. And that kind of disrupts their own needs and wants because they tend to self-sacrifice a lot. And when I say self-sacrifice, I'm talking about constant caregiving. The idea of not being a, with somebody is very, very, very difficult. And you'll not just do what's something to be kind, but you go overboard. 
as far as helping somebody. Does that make sense to you? Yes. If you need me to clarify that, I will. No, it makes perfect sense. No, it, 100%. And also it's like, yeah. you're not saying anything I didn't already know about myself. You know, like I sit in this realization and sometimes I make that conscious choice. Right. And a lot of this is going to be conscious choice. I want to go a little bit more for a second into the five. This was in the the importance of Love Ray's book, geared more towards the parents. You can kind of sort of break down the attachments to a few steps called primary conditions, right? So the first primary condition is felt safety slash protection. The second one is feeling seen and known, which is also attunement. Third is felt comfort slash soothing and reassuring. Fourth is feeling valued, expressing delight. Fifth is felt support for best self and encouragement. Can you just um, take us through these five steps briefly? And I'm an attachment specialist and I work with adults. And so one of the things that we always assess is their, you know, beside your attachment style. But we know through our research and we know through our therapeutic work that there are really five primary conditions, the one that you just listed. And let me go through them with you because this is built and created in your very first one, which is your primary caregiver you know, your very early years, but it stays with you throughout life. It manifests in all relationships. So the first one is when a child feels felt safety. And I'm talking about what a child feels, not necessarily what a parent is doing for a child. So when you lock your child into a car seat, you cognitively know that your child is safe, but the child doesn't feel safe because the child doesn't have the cognitive awareness to know that they're safe. They just know mom's putting us in here, we're constrained. But what I'm talking about is when a child feels safe. And that means that times that the child has felt unsafe, that the parent has been there to make sure that they're safe, to remove them from a room if there's a loud noise, or to soothe and comfort them if they have become distressed or upset, where they don't feel safe around certain things, like let's say dogs or you know certain loud noises or etc. So once again, it's a felt sense of safety. And that is so important because that sets the stage for all the developmental lines to go forward and be open. The second condition is called feeling seen and known. And this is really around a very attuned parent. They really understand what their child is saying, what the behavior is. And also they really kind of get an understanding of what range of emotions the child is feeling. Is the child happy? Is the child excited? Is the child distressed? Is the child angry? Is the child sleepy? Etc. And this parent kind of already knows what that internal state is and they meet that child's needs. And this is important for like self-development and really kind of cognitive development. This really helps the child start to really understand their feelings and their feelings in relationships in relation to others. The third one is felt comfort, and that is soothing and reassuring. And you see this, most of these are always interchangeable, but these five primary conditions are around in the very first 12 months of life. So the third one being felt comfort, this is soothing and reassuring. And this is very key because this is about emotional regulation. And that is where a parent really sits and helps a frustrated child really understand that, you know, everything's going to be okay, that we're going to get through this and that you might be very highly upset now, but it's going to, it's going to calm down and it's going to be okay. And the child starts to have this trust that yes, they'll get upset, but that everything will be okay. Ashley and I were just talking about that a couple episodes ago because I kind of had a panic attack in front of my kid and I felt like I could have handled it better. And that was exactly to your point that you're speaking right now of it wasn't that I had the panic attack. I just next time want to explain that this can happen and you can recover and it's going to be okay. I didn't have the wherewithal at the time to do that. Well, you don't because when you get into this, you know, you tend to get flooded and I don't mean you, Carrie, you. I meant, you know, I mean, I do, but yes, everyone, yes. (laughs) Everyone does. But so this constant soothing and reassurance and what it does is it kind of really sets the stage that every child is going to be upset. There's no way you can avoid children getting upset. 
And it's not about the child getting upset. That's not the issue. The issue is that the child gets sued. And in that soothing, it sends the message that everything's going to be okay. So the next time that happens, the child will, you know, have this kind of memory bank that, yeah, I've been upset before and it's going to be okay. And it's appropriate. Let me tell you, it's appropriate for a two-year-old to throw themselves down on the ground. They're frustrated. We expect that of them and we're there to help them. It's not appropriate when you're, let's say, 55 years old and you're throwing yourself down on the ground having a temper tantrum. I mean, I do do that. me. <laughs> and let me tell you, we all do that. But one of the things that we do as parents, and this is where the primary condition comes in, you know, the world isn't going to come to an end. We want to really tell our children, yes, you're upset and yes, we're disappointed and you're not going to get that toy or, you know, you didn't get selected for this or et cetera. That life has disappointments. But when you feel these disappointments, that people are there to help you and to remind you that, you you know, this is not about you. It's about, it's about a disappointment. And it's about helping them really kind of understand that the world does not come to an end. It's going to be okay. We will get through this and then we will move on. These conditions remind me of something I studied in school. I think it was child psychology or development, which is like um, some of these things, it was really important to nurture these certain aspects at various stages of development. Mm -hmm. Are these related or am I I just making that up in my head? No, you're not making it up because basically, and I'll get to the, the the other two primary conditions, but these primary conditions are developed very early on, let's say in the first 18 to 20 24 months of life. And they play out not as individual, like check them off. I've already got that one. They're playing all the time. They're not mutually exclusive. So a lot of times you'll see safety with felt comfort or feeling seen and known with feeling valued. Feeling valued would be the next, the fourth primary condition, which is kind of setting up this express delight. And the reason why I like this one so much, and this is the basis of the books that I wrote about, express delight is about self-esteem. And if you were to ask somebody, how do you develop self-esteem in a child? A lot of people might not know that answer, but the answer is very simple and it's called express delight, what I consider love rays. And express delight is when you have this feeling of accomplishment and you turn to your parents or your caregiver or your grandparents, whomever, it doesn't matter. You turn to them and that person acknowledges that express, that sense of accomplishment that you were able to do something. And they amplify the affect and they magnify this this wonderful moment of a feel-good state for a child. And then that anchors a feel-good state in a child. And that is self-esteem. And you do that enough and your child is going to actually really feel good about themselves. And the example that I like to talk about is, and we all have this, when we get into an elevator with like a four-year-old, And the first thing the four-year-old wants to do is he wants to press the button. Well, the reason why he wants to do it is because he knows he can. And he knows that he has that ability to do that. And it makes him feel good about himself. So when we say, sure, press the button, and he presses it, the first thing he does is he turns around to his mother or whoever got into the elevator with him, his father, his grandparent, and he looks for their eye. He looks for that face to join him in this little celebration of this sense of accomplishment. And if the parent is attuned enough and smiles, and does it and says, this is fantastic. I'm so proud of you. He skips out of the elevator and feels so good about himself. That's self-esteem. This makes sense for why I have like an abundance of self-esteem because I had a bunch of adults in my life doing this all the time. And which is wonderful. So you have this this sense of like, you know, there's people out there. And that actually just led us right into the fifth primary condition, which is that felt support for best self. You you just said to me, you have a lot of people that really amplified and magnified your accomplishments. Well, there you go. You feel that sense that people really want the best for you. And when you talk about developmentally for children or for whatever, these play out in all relationships. And I watched a video of you two and I was really struck and I watched 
watch this because you guys, just in your interactions, the way you guys smile at each other, the way you guys validate each other, the way you guys support each other, the way you guys comfort each other when someone says something or makes a mistake, your friendship exhibits all of these five primary conditions. You feel safe with each other. You feel valued. You feel seen and known. You feel comforted with each other. And you really do get a sense that you two want the best for each other. Oh, that's nice. That's good to hear. You're make me cry a little I bit. Know. Oh, I feel vulnerable. I'm <laughs> sitting over here muting my kid because he rubbed Clorox wipes on himself and he's naked in bed now. And this just like really turned everything around for me. Well, it's funny because we're talking about a parent child. But even if like you get this early in life and let's say you do this, this, you know you get it because you manifest these in all relationships and you have richer, happier, healthier relationships. And as a woman, and you know, we're talking about this and I, I don't want to just, you know, exclude men in any way or what I want to talk about is that this is a dyad. This is a relationship and you guys are manifesting this and it's a feel good state. Ashley, we are in a healthy relationship. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm proud of us. When people see healthy relationships, they gravitate to them because they want it as well. And it's not hard to get. It's these five primary conditions. That is the basis of a healthy relationship. And you look at it in marriages, you look at it in work relationships, you look at it with parent-child, they're right here. So when I talk about the five primary conditions to promote secure attachment, I wrote about it for parents to kind of do it early for children to get it because I see so many clients in my office that I try and help with these. So my goal for writing the books were about, let me give this information to you. It applies to friendships, romantic relationships, as well as parent-child relationships. Okay. Do you have any insight on anxiety in children? I mean, I know that's that's such an all-encompassing kind of question and a big topic, but um, you know, it's something that Carrie and I are constantly concerned about with our, our own children. Anxiety is future unknown. That is what anxiety is. I was literally having this conversation two days ago when I had a panic attack. So, yes. Okay. Well, this is good because yeah. with, especially with a panic attack, a panic attack is not cognitive. It's all emotions. It's all body. It's all, it's all body sensations. And it escalates from zero to a hundred. Okay. It doesn't, anxiety doesn't tend to escalate that rapidly, which is why a panic attack is very different from an anxiety attack per se. We're still using the word an, uh, attack, but to just simplify the anxiety piece, anxiety is future unknown. And I can't stress that enough because when you make the future known, your anxiety goes down. All right. So for instance, a child, I'm going to use this as an example. A child's going to go to kindergarten. Well, the child hears kindergarten, doesn't have any idea what kindergarten is. And they start, that's coming up in the future. So now you've already set up the future that he doesn't know what's going on in the future. So you've now set the stage for anxiety because a child doesn't know what the future is going to hold. He doesn't know if the teacher's going to be nice, how many kids are going to be there. He doesn't know what the school, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all these unknowns create this anxiety state and anxiety comes out in different ways you know, you avoid it, you have a temper tantrum, you cry, you start hyperventilating, etc. So one of the things we want to do with children and also with adults. So when I say children and adults, I'm going to inter interchange them a little bit, but we want to acknowledge that there's a fear because they don't know something. So the more you can make the future known or make the 
future in the present and say, well, let's talk about it and break it down into small pieces. We want to acknowledge that you're having fear right now. We want to validate that this is really true and this is what you're feeling. You, you don't want to dismiss it. You don't want to overreact. You want to acknowledge for exactly what it is. You also want to break it down into steps, steps that they really understand. Well, you know, you've been to the school. You met your teacher, Susie. You will, you know, Johnny's going to be in your class. All of these things just start calming the anxiety because you're making things known that is in this blank slate of unknown. Well, thank you so much. Can you plug yourself? Tell the people where they can find you, your books, yes, all of please. that. Yes, uh, please. I just, I have a website that has my books on it and it's called www.paulasacks.com. I also have an Instagram, which is Love Ray's book and you can get the books on Amazon. I will say, you know, these books have turned into, especially the importance of Love Ray's. It really is a very valuable tool for creating secure attachment, regardless what your own attachment style is, but it's also kind of like some tools to kind of be mindful and aware of how your being is creating an interaction with another being. I think it's important, especially as a parent. Well, thank you so much. This was this definitely gave me a lot to talk about next week in therapy. So I appreciate that because I've been going for so many years. Sometimes you run out of shit to talk about. So thank you. And I really appreciate you. You you actually made me feel better about parenting with this book. I just want to say because Ashley and I've talked about it. The pandemic has sometimes brought out the worst version of ourselves when it comes to parenting, being very frazzled and feeling like, you know, we're in a kind of like a um, pressure cooker situation. But one thing I do know is that we care very deeply for our children and we look at our children with those love rays and we validate and acknowledge their feelings even in the worst of times. And so you made me feel a little bit better about my parenting. Granted, Ashley's not acknowledging that her kid's screaming mommy to her right now because she's trying to do her job. I, like, I'm trying to like <laughs> mute him. It has been, this entire interview has just been a disaster on my end. I almost wanted to be like, mommy, mommy, <laughs> on the other end. It's like that family guy bit, but anyway. It's, it's a parenting podcast, Ashley. This isn't a like, we're sexy single people podcast. I know, but also just like someone take me out back and put me out of my misery. <laughs> like, for the love of God, please. Well, can I tell you guys, honestly, don't strive for perfection. There uh, is no such thing. It's not even the perfection, Paula. It's just like a fucking moment, for I, God's <laughs> sake. We've all been there. Anybody who's had children, and if they tell you otherwise, they're not telling the truth. They're lying. Uh, they're lying. <laughs> Or they're over-medicated. <laughs> I know. And you guys, just remember more often than not, that's all. It's just more often than not. And if you actively try and create joy and positive, good-feeling states in your children, you'll do it. It's like exercising. Just do it. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. That was really like, we learned a lot. We really appreciate all the honesty and what you do. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I enjoyed it. Yeah, us too. We'll talk to you soon, Paula. Bye. All right, a segment I am so excited about. What's the deal with Blippi, my son's favorite person in the world? Oh, man. Carrie. I don't even know where to begin with I know. This. I was like, you start, because I don't even know. Like, I know everything I want to talk about. I just don't even know how to start this. Okay, I feel like I need to start by saying that my very first Wait, experience- let's intro who Blippi is. Okay, go ahead. You you do that, yes. Okay, so Blippi, real name, Stephen, S-T-E-V-I-N, John. I-N? V-I-N. Like, as in Victor. Ew, S-T, but I-N, not E-N, because usually Stephen is S-T-V-E-N. Ew, who Maybe spells their name like Steven? Yeah. Who? Anyway. I'm convinced that Blippi is Eastern European of some kind because okay. he he spells things weird, but we'll, we'll get into it. 
Anyway, so Blippi, real name Stevan John, is an American entertainer who started out as a, what do they call him when you're like a comic who just like does gross shit? I don't know, like like the guys from... Uh like a gross-out comic. Well, I don't yeah. know what the correct term is. We're going to call it gross-out comic. Yeah. He started as a gross-out comic. First claim to fame is a video in which he is in the bathroom doing the Harlem Shake and projectile shits <laughs> on his friend. Which, let me tell you, what a friend. Because if somebody was like, you know what? I really want to get really big on YouTube, and here's the idea. I can make my shit projectile, and I would like to poop on you. Also, how do you think he made that shit projectile? Did he eat Visine or something? Something like, what the fuck? Or like, you know, he he Coke? did his like, no, that, you know, he, we all had that week in college where we took laxatives. Maybe he just like took a bunch of laxatives. God. Yeah. Ooh, I lot. don't know. That's yeah. a lot. But then apparently he was like hanging out with his nephew. Yeah, I read his whole Wikipedia because I was like, who <laughs> is you, this you're fucking character? No, I did it on my own. That's even worse. He apparently was hanging out with his, you know, young nephew one day. And he was like, man, there's nothing for him to watch on YouTube. So Blippi was born. And Blippi started out, you know, he basically just goes to like indoor play places, which you guys know how we feel about that, and has turned into, I mean, he's gone to India. He's gone on a private jet. He still does his, you know, his. he still goes back to his roots, which are the play places and trampoline parks and stuff. But he basically is a grown man who talks like a child and like <laughs> laughs like that. Oh, God, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Yeah, I know. He wears uh, blue and orange a lot. And um, here's the most fun fact. He's apparently worth 40 million dollars which we just goes to show us so wrong all of us all all of you listening us we have all done life wrong all those brain surgeons out there everybody, that are listening to the podcast everybody has done life wrong and should oh my just- god can you imagine let me just tell you something so brain surgeons often listen to the radio when they're doing can you imagine a brain surgeon listening to this podcast while they're i'm so sorry if anyone's getting brain surgery listening to our why podcast. are you a po- no brain surgeon is listening to our podcast <laughs> Like, who are you kidding? It's not happening. Anyway. So I first was introduced to him with my sister Gina's son is obsessed with him. And I came over and this shit was on the television and I got really mad at her. I was like, why are you letting him watch this shit? This was before I had a child, of course. And I was, she was like, it's the only thing that keeps him quiet. And I'm like, ew, never would I do this. Truly. Truly. I still don't think I'll do it with Luna, but there'll be some other version of that oh, for Oh, if it's what works, you'll do and it. And I was like, this is the most brain damaging. How is this guy popular? Why do kids like him? This is the worst shit I've ever seen. And I still firmly believe it's the worst shit I've ever seen. He's talking down to kids like something is mentally wrong with them. He's dressed like a sad, like when you're in college and you don't have a Halloween costume. And so you just throw some shit together and you're like, I'm a crazy yes. clown yes. or whatever. But That's I don't that. think he talks down to kids. Ooh, have fun. I, I think he's just like being childlike. I think that's his interpretation of like childlike because Sebastian will ask me all the time, is Blippi boy or man? And I'm like, I, who knows, man? I honestly, like, I couldn't I, even. I, you're I, like, I haven't been in bed with him. I'll let you know. <laughs> unclear to me, to be honest with you. But he really does. I mean, the thing is, I'll tell you this much. He goes over the colors so often that Sebastian will be like, I know, Blippi, it's purple. Like, <laughs> all right, but you still want to watch this? Okay. Here's why I'm convinced 
that he is like Eastern European of some kind. He misspells shit. I know. I saw that. I saw a mother being like, how, there was on like a mom page rant that was like, can someone please call Blippi on teaching kids how to spell shit wrong? So her example was spaghetti. I don't even know what asinine way he spelt it. And then- not that he's Eastern European because he's asinine. It's like the way that these things are being spelled. But also for seen. $40 million, can someone spell crack that? Can for you get an editor on that? For $40 million, the production value should be so much better. You know what? I don't want to see your cameraman in the reflection. I've been in this industry long enough to know that that is a faux pas. Also, why are you spelling syrup? He made like Play-Doh ice cream and he spelled chocolate syrup S I. R-O-P-E. I was like, what the fuck is that? Who spells like that? Well, he spells his name Steven, S-T-V-I-N. Who spells their name like that? Oh, well, that's his parents' fault, I think. Also, I really want to know what kind of life Steven has with this $40 million. Uh, Well, he lives in Las Vegas. <laughs> Let me tell you, because I spend a lot of time thinking about Blippi. Like, a lot. It is on for so many hours in a week in my house. He lives in Las Vegas, which should tell you everything you mm-hmm. need to know about Blippi. Steven. He likes prostitutes. <laughs> he definitely, like, I bet he parties. Because who, oh, yeah. why, you don't move to Vegas unless you party. Like you, what also, you, you also, if you make a shitting on your friend video, you party. Oh, for sure. He definitely parties. He also, there was allegedly, a video. Allegedly, 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 right, allegedly. Right, we're sprinkling it. We're Jesus and Miro sprinkling. Then on top of it, there was two episodes that really got my mind spinning. First being, he was snowboarding. He came to Mountain Creek here in New Jersey and did this whole like Burton kids snowboarding area, which in my mind, it was sponsored. Burt and Mountain Creek flew him out, did all that other stuff, probably on a private jet, which is how he got that private jet video, was really good at snowboarding. Then there was an episode where he went like BMX biking. And I was like, okay, that's definitely a stand-in. But then he was talking. It was definitely him. And he was like good at it. So he's a guy who lives in Las Vegas who snowboards and BMX bikes. So that just means you got a lot of money and a lot of time because are you good at anything like that? <laughs> Maybe he's friends with Britney Spears and he goes over her house and plays on her tiny furniture. Oh God, that's so Can you twisted. imagine? That would, I, would, I think that would be the best hookup ever. Britney and Blippi. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Like, Britney's definitely too good for him, but he's got $40 million. That's technically more than she gets to keep for herself. Right. And I feel like somewhere in that, like, childhood, whatever. And you know what? She loves to spin around, which is physical. And he seems like a very physical guy. Uh, Well, there was also an episode. Okay, so there was one that I watched again today where he goes to, like, some girl's house <laughs> some just like, some girl. Okay. Yeah, so like weird. her name is Dee Dee. Is she an adult or a child? She is an adult and she is very blonde. And he goes with like his little, you know, like those old fashioned like toolboxes that aren't actually a box. They're like wooden and just have a handle and they're open. Yes, I have one in my house. Okay. So he goes with that thing, of course, because it's specific. Yeah. <laughs> he like takes that thing over and he's like, hi, Dee Dee. Dee Dee lets him into the house. And then he just goes to fix her sink. <laughs> This is like a porn. Yes. And then Dee Dee, you never see Dee Dee again. But he goes and- That's because Dee Dee's blowing him the rest of the time. 100% Dee Dee is some chick, allegedly, 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 that I guess hangs out with 
Blippy, and he was like, hey, I should just come over and make a video here. And maybe she was confused what kind. I don't know. But he gets under her sink, her kitchen sink, and starts fixing it. And then he goes I've definitely seen a porn that started like this. Oh, of course you have. At least twice. And then he goes to her, like, building gym and starts, like, banging on some pieces of equipment. It's like, I'm fixing it. And then he starts doing a workout. I guess like, I don't know what it's called, but it's like, I think it's for your shoulder blades, but you're pulling forward. Yeah, like a, a pre- shoulder press or like a sure, row? Sure, sure, you, that One of those. So he starts like doing that. And then he goes, I love working out at a gym and a fitness facility. It keeps you living for a long time and healthy. And I was just like, what? bizarro fucking world. Like, did this guy drop acid and come up with this concept? It is so bizarre to me. Did you run out of things to film? You went to somebody's house, fixed her sink, and then fixed her exercise equipment and did exercise on camera for kids? Maybe in order to get in her pants, she was like, I'm just like trying to become famous and I just like need some exposure. So he like wrote her an episode. He's literally just like, hi, Dee Dee. And then that's it. (laughs) Dee Dee's gone. (laughs) He killed Dee Dee. At the end, he must have been like, bye to his cameraman, got down with it. Here's the other thing. So I once saw an episode, I've told this story before. I once saw an episode where he goes to like a smoothie bar, like a popsicle smoothie bar, whatever. Again, these are really loose concept shows. So like there is, there's not a lot of stuff put in, work totally. put into this. Some of them are actually like kind of fun. Like he goes to like aquariums and feeds penguins. I thought that was fun. But this one, oh, so he goes to the smoothie bar and the girl that works there is really cute really pretty girl they're like interacting the whole time and in my mind I'm just like did Blippi bang the girl like how do you how do you walk into a business as Blippi and then pick somebody up is it possible is it achievable I mean he is worth 40 million dollars it does make him more attractive and out of the Blippi clothes he's not bad looking Uh, I'm gonna have to google that I don't 100% believe that he's good looking I didn't say he's good looking I said he's not bad looking you know what makes him really good looking 40 million million dollars he's not a guy I'd see at a bar and be listen army hammer I know this is not a good thing. Army Hammer's a guy I would see at a bar and be like, oh my goodness, I need to talk to him. Blippy? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. But also, one's got $40 million and one's a rapist. So. Wow, Ashley, you really broke the <laughs> <laughs> And What's that's the what deal I- with rich people and rapists? <laughs> Sorry. I feel like there's this guy that I used to date in Los Angeles that reminds me so much of Blippy, like so much of Blippy. Every guy in LA just like wants to be famous and will do whatever they can. And it just so happened Blippy fucking stuff. And I do have to say this guy was amazing in bed. Horrible boyfriend. Amazing in bed. So maybe Blippy just like really brings it in the sheets. I find that hard to believe. There's something very dead behind the eyes with Blippy that well, bothers he lives me. in Las Vegas. We've just lost all of our Las Vegas listeners. <laughs> Do we have any? I think my friend. My friend lives in Las Vegas, but they moved there for work, so. Yeah. There's something very dead behind the eyes about him. Not that he's stupid. That's not what I'm saying. It's almost like he's, like, not fully committed, which I could understand because how do you fully commit to, like, this kind of, like, childlike ding-dong who's, like, discovering colors every fucking day? (laughs) Sebby's like, listen, bitch, I'm three and I know my colors, okay? Yeah, honestly. One day he was like, Blippi, don't throw it. It's gonna not go that way. I'm like, dude, You really watch too much Blippi. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Blippi makes children feel smart. Or safe because it's the same thing. I don't know. Maybe it is Do you think he uses that Blippi voice in bed with women? Ugh. 
I really do. You think hope he's not. like, this is my penis. It's red. Do you think he called, what do you think his dick is named? Do you think it's Blippy Jr.? <laughs> Little Blippy? Lil L I L Blippy? Little Blip. Lil Blip. Big Blippy. Little Blip is growing. You're making it so happy. It's so weird. My thing is that, so my biggest issue with Blippy, aside from he straight up creeps me out, like my weirdo meter is just like, I can't even with it, is that I really have a problem. And I think this is because you and I do everything. We're jack of all trades kind of people. I really have a hard time when someone's show is really successful, not putting that extra money into making it look good. Like yeah, the weird really, camera I angles mean, and like the steady cam shit and like it just is bad production. Yes. And that's what I was saying about the production value. Yeah, that really bothers me. Like even just like if you're a podcaster and you don't invest a little extra money on a good mic, like just like do it because the rest of us suffer. It's like if my kid is going to watch this stuff, like it doesn't have to be super complicated complicated but just make it clean to like look at my absolute favorite podcast is called Watch What Crappens. It's a recap. They come out with a new episode every weekday. They do recaps of Bravo shows as they come out. And they're like hugely popular, very, very successful. Like we're on tour before all of this. It's where you and I want to go. But because they turn out a product every single day, they don't edit anything. So their episodes are sometimes like an hour and a half long. Jokes that bomb, they don't edit out. They just leave it all in. And I guess that's like part of the charm. But as somebody who does this for a living, it drives me crazy because I know these guys make enough money that they don't have to wait tables. They don't have to do anything. Like their bills are paid off of Just this. hire an editor. They need that money Just to do it every day. Just hire an editor. Just immediately when you're done, hi, ha, bring somebody on staff and just pay them to edit out the bullshit. Have them listen while you're recording and just make notes and that's it. Like, it's not that hard. It drives me crazy. Production value. I really think we've listened. You and I have listened to other mommy shows. We're not going to name names, but we've listened to some other mommy shows and they don't sound like they edit. We've dealt with other mommy shows that can't even respond to an email within two weeks, even with a prompt of reminder. And it's one of the things that drives you and I crazy because we work so hard on this. We're professionals about this shit, yeah. And we're perfectionists. So when someone else can't just like do this minimum thing to, to do a good job, you and I, our minds are blown. We're like, Lippy, you have so what? much money. Get a team. Get a better team. Get a fucking guy who does your graphics who can spell syrup for Christ's sakes. Not that difficult. Who did you hire that can't spell it and did Google it? Come yeah, on. come on. Blippi, reach out. Do the right thing. Honestly, <laughs> we would love... Us. I don't think Blippi would ever do an interview with us, but I would love... I, I mean, would there's just die. so much I want to know. And it's not even like... It's not... E- like, I'm not even trying to be radical, but I just like... I want it. Like, do you bang different chicks every night? Are you married? Do you want to have kids? Do you actually like children? Are you truly worth $40 million? Like, all the very inappropriate questions. That's what I want to ask. Like what, da- what Howard Stern would ask. I just called him yes. David Stern, which is the name <laughs> of my lawyer. Totally different person. It, it's sort of like when we interviewed Steve Byrne in that it was like that kind of thing except yeah. Steve Burns is hot AF and P.S. <sighs> Steve Burns is the original Steve from Blue's Clues. Yes. The only difference is Steve is an intelligent gentleman who is sweet and like really does it for the right reasons. We don't know, not know this I mean, about I was going to say but, we don't know that Blippi does But it. also he's just like just handsome and like a dream boat and like ev- so charismatic. Everyone he is. is just like swoon, swoon. And that And voice. he's my friend. Yeah, he's my friend. So he's just like straight up like love, lover boy, love him. 
I don't know if that's blippy, but I want to do like a that kind of interview. It feels like that kind of thing where I want to know, like, do you get lots of chicks from being blippy? You know, give me the lowdown. How much pipe are you laying? Anyway, what's the deal? We want to hear your thoughts on blippy. And also, what do you want us to do? What's the deal on? What is that one thing that is just like mind blowing to you that you just need us to do a deep dive on? Help us. Help us create content. Help us. It's hard coming up with content twice a week. <laughs> During a pandemic with children. Ah, no free time. When do you only watch Blippi and Bravo? Uh, anyway. Hashtag swag bag. Hashtag swag bag. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Okay, so Blue Land is, you guys have probably heard of it. It's like eco-conscious cleaning products. So you buy these nice, sturdy, uh, like a kit. They sell them individual, but you can buy a kit that's like a nice, sturdy plastic cleaning bottle. So there's multi-surface, bathroom, and windows. I got the three ones, the bathroom, the uh, multi-surface, and the window. And then I got the hand soap. I got two hand soaps. So I got the kit that comes with a hand soap and bought an extra hand soap. And, you know, I have often felt like natural things. So, oh, so the premise is instead of rebuying every time it's out, like, oh, I need to go buy a whole plastic bottle of Windex, you get the tablets and you just drop the tablets into water and that's it. It's done. They also make dish soap. They make all these stuff. But I wanted to start with this kit and I've been wanting to for a while, but I was like 50 bucks. This is the problem with going green, right? They get you in the startup cost. You know, I always do it slowly, but it is something I very much care about. So I finally bit the bullet. I did it. I was really worried that the products were going to suck. They are actually fantastic. I have not used the Windex and I have not used the bathroom cleaner, but the hand soap is great. Really, really wonderful. I'm going to buy another one for the kitchen. And the multi-surface cleaner, I have cabinet. What what's my quartz? like? Countertops? Yeah. What are my countertops? Are they quartz? Quartz It are, looks like marble, but it, yeah, I think it's quartz. I think you have quartz or countertops. Or granite. I don't or know. Or granite. Yeah. Well, it's one of those, but it's a white. So it looks like a marble. And there was a wine stain on there from like two days ago and I sprayed it on and it literally melted away. It smells good. It's effective. I love the packaging. I'm slowly going to be doing my dish soap, my dishwashing tablets, everything. I love Blue Land. I highly recommend them. I'm going to reach out and try and see if they'll collaborate with us because I really just think they're fantastic. So do the right thing, Blue Land. Reach out. My hashtag swag bag is that May Love Night Glycolic. Oh, I'm so glad you love that so much. I said, I just love it. It tingles in a way that makes me feel like it's working. Yeah, like good tingle. It's really inexpensive. Did you start using the eye cream too? Yes, and some of my wrinkles have gone away. Yes. Like immediately. It is actually like a miracle. That Does it have cream. like snail mucus in it or something? I have no I idea. I don't. But the woman who developed it is like an MIT graduate. And her whole thing was like she wanted to develop a skin line that was actually effective and wasn't so crazy expensive. And I think they so many of their products are great. I recent I bought their um, niacid. Yeah. Acetamide, yeah. Niamacid. I don't know. I bought their that serum a while ago and I didn't know why or what it was for. And then my friend, my esthetician was like, oh, you should start using that more often. And I've been using it and it's fantastic. And everything's like in the $28 price range, except for a few serums. I'm really into it. I like the minimal packaging. Like I'm really yep. into it. And my face feels like tighter and bouncier is the yep. best way that I can describe it. I had a little bit of a breakout 
with it, but I do that anytime I start a new product. But it also felt like not the kind of breakout that I was allergic, just like shit was coming to the surface that needed to get out. And it lasted like a day and now it's fine. And my skin looks good. I haven't really been wearing that much makeup and it's been looking fine. Like my skin looks good without it. I just really love it. That's awesome. I love that. What a fun episode. Yeah, guys. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That new subscriptions gets us on the Apple chart, so please do it. Steal your friends' and your partner's phones. Use facial recognition of your kid, however you need to get in there. And rate, review, subscribe. Please. Just do steal it. people's phones and do it for us. Come on. Do it. Do the right thing for your mom, Taraj. Anyway. And Blippi, do the right thing. Reach out. I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. I asked Sebastian the other day, I was like, what would you do if Blippi walked into the room right now? And he was like, um, well, and I was like, you wouldn't get excited and want to play with him? And he's like, I would say, Blippi, why are you here? What you want, Blippi? And I was like, uh, okay. True story. There's your imagination. Cool. Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you, and go slay. Momtourage is written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.